Well, welcome to the revolution. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is Growing Bolder. Now, Growing Bolder is about smashing stereotypes and taking advantage of the very real opportunities to live a more active, exciting, and fulfilling life for longer than you ever thought possible. And we're going to prove it to you. On today's show, a solar energy pioneer who is still electrified by his passion to provide energy to poor people all over the world. Wendy Chioji stops by with encouraging news on brain health, and we'll meet an NPR superstar who quit her dream job because she thought there was something better out there. Plus, her teammates call her the Medicare Wonder, the 65-year-old woman who plays on an ice hockey team against 20-year-olds. And he may be the most famous rock guitarist you've never heard of, but we guarantee you will recognize his work. All of this is coming up, and that's what we call Growing Bolder. You know, we all dream of making the world a better place, but you're about to meet a guy who has actually done it. He's a solar energy pioneer who first became interested in trying to harness the power of the sun during the Carter administration when he was a consultant to the U.S. Energy Department. Right, Mark. Back then, I think it was 1990, he set off on a 12-year campaign to try to bring solar power to poor people in developing worlds. He founded the nonprofit Solar Electric Light Fund, which continued to facilitate rural solar development worldwide. And in 2005, he founded and was CEO of Standard Solar in Maryland. And that's not all, Bill. He's an award-winning journalist. He's an author, a former executive at Greenpeace. And he's even helped develop a new video game called The Solar Games. We're happy to welcome one of the world's top solar advocates, Mr. Neville Williams. Hey, Neville, how are you? Good, thank you. Hey, you know, we're always excited and appreciative to talk to those who were really ahead of their time. Uh, As a guy, obviously, of many talents, you could have channeled your energies in any direction. What was it about solar energy back in the day that inspired you so much? Well, that's a good question. Uh, It just seemed sexy that you could convert sunlight to electricity with a a device called, you know, photovoltaics. And uh, where I lived in Maryland, the first big global factory was located there in in Rockville. I visited them and did some consulting for them, learned about it. It just seemed attractive. I was looking for a cause. I'd been cause-oriented all my life and a journalist. I'm not a kind of guy that can really work in a corporation. Well, I've founded plenty of companies. I can't <laughs> seem to work for one. And uh, I just took a huge interest in where this would go. Back then, solar was quite expensive, and we just and the only use we could see for it, uh, practical use, was in the developing world where the price wasn't so much because you weren't using much of it. A very small amount of solar could could uh, have an effect. Where this country, it was it was too expensive. Well, let's talk a little bit about the developing world because, uh, boy, from what I understand, you spent more than a decade helping electrify underdeveloped countries, and you even wrote a book about it called Chasing the Sun. What did you learn from that effort, and what were the results? Well, we learned that people want power, uh, and they don't have it in much of the world. They use kerosene or candles. That's dangerous and, you know, bad for eyesight and so on. And uh, the grid, the electric grid just doesn't extend to the great rural populations. We're talking one and a half billion or as many as two billion people that just don't have basic electricity. And they're not really looking at solar as an environmental concern or, you know, a clean energy sort of thing. They just want some electric light. And if you can bring it to them, what we learned, if you can bring it to them, they'll buy it. And the big question is, how can they afford it? You know, three, four hundred, five hundred dollars for a solar home system uh, with batteries, lights, switches, installation mounting and all of that uh, is a lot of money to these people. So what we weren't concerned, what we did learn was the technology wasn't the issue. You can get this technology anywhere in the world. There's a lot of local companies making it very adept technical people wherever you go. But what was needed was were financial mechanisms so people could, you know, buy um, solar for their house as easily as we buy a car. You know, folks, we're speaking with Neville Williams, who is one of the world's top solar uh, energy advocates and, and pioneers. And Neville, I've always been kind of interested uh, in, in the fact that, you know, cell, t- cell phone penetration, mobile devices, uh, you know, are far more prevalent and, and in many ways better in, in some of these underdeveloped countries because, uh, you know, the countries haven't had this, this investment in the infrastructure that right. major American corporations have here. Right. To some degree, is that the same with solar energy? Is, is it able to get penetration in these undeveloped countries yeah. quicker? Yeah, the, the whole thing, just the the cell phone has leaped over, 
you know, leapfrogged over the, uh, you know, wires in many of these countries. Um, solar has leapfrogged over the extension of the grid. The difference is so, uh, <coughs> cell phones picked up faster because if you get, get, get a cell phone in someone's hands, they have to pay someone every month to be able to use it, and they're addicted, and they will somehow pay for it. <laughs> you can put a solar system in someone's hands, but you can't charge for the sunlight. So, uh, or when Rockefeller was spreading his kerosene around the world, which is how Standard Oil made its, made its money, and I, I named our solar company Standard Solar after that. He did it because, you know, once you gave people their lamps, then you had to sell them kerosene. So solar, you've got to be bought. You're buying 25 years of power up front when you buy a solar system, and that means there's a cost involved that it's, you know, it's cheap to, to, to acquire a cell phone. Solar system's a little longer. But, yes, it's all leapfrog technology, and, and it's all linked together, and people are buying solar now so they can charge their cell phones and watch television and so on, not just for lighting. So what about closer to home, Neville? How's solar doing in the U.S.? Well, it's booming. I was so excited to start a new company. Um, I started the first company in India in 1997. Celco was a spinoff of Self, and that's, that company's done 140,000 solar lighting systems and has 300 employees, doing very well. Um, but I learned from that we needed the same thing in this country, so I set up a company, Standard Solar, and, uh, and I'm retired from that now, but it was very successful. Uh, it, it took off fast. Investment capital came in. The market exploded, and there must be 2,500 installation companies for residential solar in this com- country and many more, and I've just completed a second book on that coming out in the spring, and uh, we're going to see... Um, we're seeing growth that's just phenomenal. It almost doubles every year. So there's a huge story about solar in this country, which when I started many years ago, solar was dead in this country. It wasn't going anywhere. But it's, uh, it's the, largest incre- inc- the largest incremental new energy source in the U.S. is solar. Well, that's good news, and we love good news. Uh, uh, and we do have some more time, but before we run out of it, I want to talk a little bit about this game because we're intrigued by that. Tell us what the solar games is about and, and, and how it's more than a game. It might actually impact the way people live. Well, this is started by a gentleman named Bradley Bullifant in Orlando, Florida, a young man. And I, I'm really pleased to see young generation coming in and grabbing so, so many new ideas. He's a, his idea is a corporation where half the profits would go toward funding solar rural electrification in places like Haiti. And since Gaming makes more money than Hollywood now. It's the second, it's one of the largest industries in the world. You know, if you set up a game with a social purpose, he says, and I'm not really involved with it. I'm just advising him a little bit because it's a great cause. But they they can make an enormous amount of money. People can have a social purpose for the game, and half that money will go towards a good cause. So I think guys like him, the young generation, are doing a lot of innovative things. And so you can go to www.solargames.org to find out more. You know, you mentioned uh, the developer uh, from Orlando, Florida. We were looking at the list and kind of scratching our heads of the top states producing solar power, and we see that Florida, the Sunshine State, isn't even in the top 20. Why are some states so far behind, and other states seem to uh, be catching on a little quicker? Uh, State law. Um, You can't do third-party finance of solar in any area where a utility has exclusive uh, rights. Um, They just overturned that law in Georgia. Florida is the only state in the country where you can't do most of the things you can do in most other states, which is killing solar here. I mean, not the, then Florida Power and Light's done their own solar, and they, they like solar. They don't want everybody's house to have solar, <laughs> uh, but they do encourage small amounts of that. No, we, solar would be a huge business in Florida if the state law would change regarding third-party finance, but uh, as long as Republicans control the legislature, I'm afraid that's never going to happen. So it's not the Sunshine State, and uh, that's that's pretty disappointing. And it's a complicated energy policy issue. That's all I can tell you. And how about the automotive industry? Because I think we probably hear more about that than than, than anything. Uh, and that that may be the quintessential battle between industry that doesn't control solar energy and uh, and the gas company. Are, are we finally getting with it uh, in terms of auto, automotive? Well, what do you mean automotive? You mean electric cars? Yeah, electric cars. Well, that's that's booming. It really is, and uh, not as booming as some people would like, of course. But we're going to see, you know, gas and oil costs are always going to go up. They're never coming back down. And electric cars are being perfected, and everybody's making them now. I'm just surprised. It's not just the Volt or the Nissan Leaf. Everybody's making them. And the success of the Tesla S is huge, and we're seeing a lot of people <clears throat> putting solar systems in their houses to charge their cars, um, or at least having additional power, or, or we're seeing public public uh, parking lots being built that can charge cars. So it, it's actually very growing fast. I'm, I'm very pleased. I want to buy an electric car myself. They're still a little expensive. But, hey, you'll never put gas in it, that's for sure. 
And Neville, you're sitting in a pretty high, interesting seat where you can see over a landscape that most of us just have glimpses of. How excited are you about solar? How big is solar going to be, and, and and how excited should we be about it? Well, Shell, you know, oil company, did a report recently. They had a huge solar company, which they sold. Many of the oil companies were into solar and got out of it for various reasons, even BP Solar, which was huge. They sold off their BP Solar. But Shell's report said by 2040... 2050, actually, and that's a ways off, but in fact, I think who's saying this, solar PV will be the largest industry in the world, replacing oil. Hmm. And I think we're going to see, we're seeing everyone scrambling around now to get with the solar programs, because it's, it's wind is good, other, other technologies are good, but solar is going to be the biggest in the world, according to all the experts, and the phenomenal growth we're seeing now is faster than computers grew. So we're, I'm, I'm excited. The big part, the big, next big thing is energy storage, and a lot of people are working on that. That's where the big money will be made, and all the stop investor, big investors in the world are looking at energy storage. There's a bunch of technologies which only need to have a little more time and money thrown at them, and they'll work. So if you're, if you're young today, this is the industry to get in, whether it's the installation end, you know, at the residential or commercial installation or, you know, manufacturing, um, project finance, management, this is the industry to get in. I, I, you know, if I were younger, I'd be even more excited, but I'm just excited that I was part of something that grew so big. Hey, Neville, before we let you go, give us a, a growing, bolder takeaway, if you will. You know, it doesn't have to have anything to do with solar energy, but what is it that keeps you going? I mean, how have you remained not only relevant, but a leader in your field uh, as you continue to age? Uh, that's a good question. I guess I'm too stupid to do anything else. So. Okay. You do start to run out of steam, but I, I don't think 62 is too old to start a company. I, could, I did it and enjoyed it. I, I had, some, I had the, you know, the benefit of wisdom and experience. You know, I'd made every mistake in the book you could make, so I had a chance one more time to do something right and make fewer mistakes. <laughs> well, Neville, we appreciate all you've done. Look forward to what you still have yet to do, folks. If you want to learn more, check out his website, Neville. That's N-E-V-I-L-L-E, Williams.com. Coming up, are you part of the revolution? Are you ready to change your life for the better? A call to action and a word of encouragement from Wendy Chioji. What are you most afraid of as you get older? I'm Wendy Chioji, and still ahead on Growing Bolder, I'll share some of the ways you can choose to face your fear and stay healthy for years to come. Support for Growing Bolder provided by... Advent Health, introducing the Feel Whole Challenge, a 21-day program offering big improvements through small steps. Taking a walk, making a smoothie, changes that encourage whole person health. More information at feelwholechallenge.com. And by... The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio, preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com Bill Schaefer here with Growing Boulder, and we'd love to bring interesting and inspirational guests to the program and let them do their thing. But every now and then, we climb up on the soapbox ourselves to add our two cents. Because if you don't fight back against society, against the media, even against some of your own inclinations, you're not going to be able to create the kind of happy, fulfilled life that we know is possible for you. Now, here's Mark Middleton with something you really need to listen to, something we call I Am Growing Bolder. Remember when no dreams seemed too big, when the future was filled with possibility? Now you're led to believe that it's too late, that dreams have an expiration date. Here's a secret. You've been programmed to give up, brainwashed into believing that when your skin wrinkles, your dreams die. The stereotypes of ageism embraced by the mainstream media are now embedded in our national psyche, making us dread what can be the best days of our lives. Madison Avenue and Hollywood don't respect your dreams, your desires, or even your money. The 30-somethings that think they run the world are infatuated with youth, even though they will one day become that which they fear and fail to understand. Don't believe their propaganda. Dreams are not about age. They're about attitude. There's a revolution underway. 
Get off the couch and get into life, but understand there are those who don't want you to succeed. Ageism, like racism and sexism, is rooted in fear and ignorance, and it fuels hate and prejudice. Are you unhappy with who you are, with where you are in life? Do you long for more? Then go get it. Go find it. Quit waiting for life to find you, and quit waiting for permission to find it. Happiness is not about age; it's about attitude. There's a revolution underway. Take a chance. Take a big chance. To be afraid to fail is to be afraid to live. Don't sit back. Lean forward. Take life head on. Don't let your only source of inspiration be the creativity of others. Find your passion and pursue it. The act of personal creation is one of the greatest joys that life has to offer. And don't stop if you fail, because you probably will. Refine, adjust, and try again and again. Passion is not about age; it's about attitude. There's a revolution underway. Surround yourself with believers who support your dreams. Refuse to accept the negative stereotypes of aging. If your mind believes them, so will your body. Reinvent yourself, and if that doesn't work, reinvent yourself again. Be optimistic about the future and take a leap of faith. And when you're not helping yourself, help others any way you can. Giving back is not about age; it's about attitude. There's a revolution underway. Many of man's greatest achievements have been made by those in their 70s and 80s and 90s, and yet we've become a society in which the elderly are ignored, isolated, warehoused, and preyed upon. Ageism threatens the future of each and every one of us. The most powerful weapon we have is the simple example of an ordinary person living an extraordinary life. Be that person. It's never too late. Be bold, and great forces will come to your aid. It's not about age; it's about attitude. There's a revolution underway. I'm Mark Middleton, and I am growing bolder. Great, great inspiration. Powerful message that comes straight from Mark Middleton of Growing Bolder. Where else do you get advice to change your life and make a difference? And it starts by taking one small step, and things snowball. From there, and when Mark talked about a revolution, there really is one underway. And of course, we didn't create it, but we are doing our best to stoke it, to continue it, to keep it going because it's a positive revolution—a revolution that has the potential to change everything that we think we know about life after the age of fifty. Think about it. Think about what did you think of somebody who was, say, sixty years old back when you were growing up? It's night and day in what's happening all around us. It's a revolution. That should be as important to twenty-year-olds as it is to sixty-year-olds, because when you think about it, they can see very clearly that if they live their life right and if they make the positive choices that they're presented with, that they can live two, three, four, five, even six decades more of active and engaging. Life now, our society has suffered from racism and sexism, and now finally, ageism is starting to be confronted. And yeah, we do have a long way to go. If we are lucky enough to live a long life, it's the one prejudice that will affect us all. So it's the one prejudice we need to keep our eye out for at an early age. And what growing bolder does. It breaks it down. It shows you what's possible, not just theoretically, but what's happening out there every single minute of every day. Ordinary people living extraordinary lives, reaching heights at a later age than they ever expected before. The following segment is dedicated to the memory of Wendy Chioji. Brain health has understandably become one of the real hot button topics in America today, and it should, shouldn't it? It concerns everybody because brain disease is heartbreakingly tragic, and because, to a large degree, it can be avoided. Research has proven conclusively that as our brains age, they continue to grow and learn new skills. Here's Wendy Chioji with some good news for those who are pursuing a growing bolder lifestyle. Hi, I'm Wendy Chioji. It's been said that when you get really old, at least you have your memories. But tragically, Alzheimer's is now stealing even those in alarming numbers. 
And with 10,000 of us now turning 65 every day for the next two decades, it's not surprising that baby boomers now fear memory loss more than cancer, heart disease, or stroke. But here's the good news. Research shows conclusively that lifestyle choices can delay or even prevent the onset of Alzheimer's. So what are the most important choices you can make? Exercise regularly, get plenty of sleep, maintain strong social contacts, and watch what you eat. Avoid processed foods and eat more vegetables, fruits, and foods rich in omega-3 fatty acids like fish, nuts, and seeds. And stimulate your mind by constantly learning new things and playing games. Start growing bolder and keep your memories forever. Thank you, Wynn. And remember, most researchers now believe a sedentary lifestyle combined with a diet of highly processed foods and a lack of intellectual and social stimulation, that these are major factors in the onset of dementia. Up next, what happened when an NPR superstar gave up her dream job with no idea of what was to come next? This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. Bill Schaefer here on Growing Boulder, and our next guest is a well-known journalist who until recently was the host of Marketplace Money, a weekly personal finance program on my favorite station on public radio. I say recently because in a true act of growing bolder, she quit her high-profile job without having any idea what she was going to do next. Let's find out why from Tess Vigland. Hi, Tess. How are you? I'm very well, Paul. Thank you. Good morning. And I'm sure the question you get more often than not is people come up to you and say, Hey, Tess, what in the world were you thinking? Pretty much. <laughs> Are you out yeah. of your mind? Why would anybody walk away from a great job like that? I know, and it was a great job, and I absolutely loved it, and it's something that I did for 20-plus years. Um, and, you know, there are lots of reasons that I left. Some of them I've talked about publicly. Uh, some of them I have not, you know, internal office politics and all that. Um, but really, mostly, I just felt like I needed some sort of change. I was bored. I did not feel challenged. Um, I felt like I had been doing the same thing in and out every day for a long time, even though that same thing was awesome. Um, and I just, you know, I just decided to jump. And, you know, it's funny because on my show, we always used to tell people that it was really stupid to <laughs> just leave your job without something else lined up. Well, and then I, that's exactly what I, I went and did against my own advice. But um, I just felt the need to see what the world had on offer out there. And, um, you know, it's, it was, it's been an interesting ride and it's a rough ride at times, but uh, it's also the very best thing I've ever done. You know, Tess, I'm sure so many people you run into say, you know, I listened to you describe that scenario, and that's me. I've been doing my job for a long time. I'm tired of doing I want a new challenge. But it's so difficult to make that move, and you say that in a lot of cases it's not easy, and sometimes it's not even the right thing to do. Absolutely. And the one thing that you know a lot of people have asked me since I left was, uh, how did you know when it was time to leave? And how did, how did you know it was going to work out for you? And my answer to the first question was, um, you know, what, what I've said is that uh, I knew it was time to leave when I had too much self-respect to stay. And in terms of how I knew it was going to work out for me, well, I didn't. And that's why they call it a leap of faith, uh, a leap without a net. And some people can't do that. I was lucky enough that my husband could pay the mortgage. Um, and, you know, our lifestyle has certainly changed radically because I was the primary breadwinner as the host of a national radio show. But, um, you know, we just decided that we were going to make it work, and I didn't know 
I didn't know if it was going to work out. And I didn't know for months afterward if it was going to work out. Um, I've talked about the roller coaster that is, you know, trying to figure out what you're going to do next. And I didn't know what I was going to do next. I didn't know if I was going to continue in radio. I didn't know if I was, if I was going to continue as a journalist or go do something entirely new. But, um, you know, now I've, I'm going to be a book author. <laughs> and um, beyond that, I still don't know. Uh, the way I think of it is, you know, as a book author, I'm pretty much, I'm still writing, I'm still interviewing people, I'm still basically a journalist, just in a different format. So after this year where I'm writing the book, I don't know what I'm going to do after that. And that's a very scary place to be, but it's also very exhilarating. One of the things, Tess, that, that yeah, gosh, you know, I could see you doing this if you were by yourself. But you mentioned your husband, and, yeah, he could yeah. cover the mortgage. But didn't he tell you a hundred times, look, Tess, I don't mind if you quit. Can't you find something else first? Sure. Uh, although I, he's he's a wonderful man, and he also knew that I was frustrated and um, not personally satisfied with where I was in my life. And so he said, you know, if you need to jump, you need to jump. Um, I'm lucky that because of a national profile, I've had um, plenty of freelance work, so I have been able to contribute to the homestead. Uh, we do not have children, which makes a difference. That was not a concern that we had to, to factor into that decision-making process. Um, but, you know, yeah, and, and a big part of that is also, you know, for me, not just the money, but the identity, you know, doing the same thing for 20 plus years, it becomes a lot of who you are. And a lot of my struggle over the last year has been trying to figure out who I am, if I'm not Marketplace's Tess Bigland anymore. And I'm slowly coming to realize that I have plenty of value beyond that, beyond a national and very public profile. Um, but for the first several months, I was—I had no idea who I was, and it's been a process to try to figure that out. Hey Tess, when you—you I, know—I—I I understand that you auditioned for for the uh, to be a, a host position on, on the weekend. All things considered, was that almost like right. a was that almost like a well, maybe maybe I want to keep my toe in the water a little bit and don't want to jump out completely. <laughs> Yeah, that would not have been a little bit. That would have been my entire body and soul yeah. jumping back into the water. Um, yeah, two weeks after I left Marketplace, uh, the job of a lifetime opened up <laughs> uh, for hosting Weekend All Things Considered. Guy Raz left to do the TED Radio Hour. And um, over the next seven to eight months or so, I went through this process of thinking I wasn't going to get it, and then, well, maybe I will get it. And I had a phone interview, and then I had an in-person interview here in L.A., uh, and then they actually flew me out to D.C. to do the show for an entire weekend. And it was an absolute dream come true. I mean, it was, I, I kept telling people, please pinch me. I cannot believe that I am here doing this show, auditioning, to possibly be the next host of it. And you were and sure they were going to hire you, weren't you? Or at least you had a feeling. I that was. You, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I tried to keep... <laughs> this is what you... These are the mind games you play with yourself. I was trying to tell myself, there's no way you're going to get it. It's too big. There are too many great candidates. But then the further along I got, the more I thought, oh my goodness, this was meant to be. This, this is why I've had such a hard time trying to figure out what else is out there in the world for me. Because this was out there. This is what I'm supposed to do. This was why I quit Marketplace, because this was coming up. And when you start thinking like that, it's very hard to think outside that box. Yeah, but Tess, um, when, when, you and, didn't, when you didn't get the job, did you start thinking, well, yeah. gee, maybe, if I, maybe it had something to do with them thinking that, well, gee, I quit the other job. Maybe there's something going on that I, I wouldn't be so dependable. No. I never got that sense at all. Um, in fact, the opposite. Uh, the reaction I got from pretty much everyone who ever talked to me about it was, wow, you're brave. And, you know, you have done what every other worker be in America wishes that they could do, which is to just up and walk away and see what else life has to offer you. Um, I never got the sense that they thought that I was unreliable. And part of that is because I had a 20-plus year career doing the same thing. So I'm, you know, I think I established myself as not a flake. Um, and, you know, I, th I think a lot of people really understood my desire to go and, and, and just test the water, see what, see what was out there, and just take a flying leap um, in a good way. 
And uh, I think there was a lot of respect for that and a lot of, wow, if she can do it, maybe I can. You know, that's I think that should be the title of this new book you're writing. I don't know. I don't know if you have it. <laughs> Don, and I know it's based on the incredible speech you gave at the World Domination Summit, and we really don't have time to get into that more, but that's what the book is based on. And the yeah. entire story of what you did, Tess, really hits home with so many people because we're all like you. You know, we all wonder at some point, isn't there something better for me? Isn't there something that I'm more suited to and and Making yourself a public example of that is a huge help to the rest of us to try to understand in our heads what that looks like and what that feels like. And, folks, you can learn a lot more about Tess, her story, her speech, and everything else at TessVigland.com. She's an amazing person, and there's a lot we can all learn from her. Tess, thanks so much for a great talk. Coming up next, she was forced into retirement, which in turn forced her to make some interesting changes in her life. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. Hi, I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is Growing Boulder. Our next guest is a perfect example of that. She's someone who was forced into retirement after losing her job when the economy tanked. So what did she do? Started playing ice hockey with 20-year-olds? we got to find out why. So let's welcome Diane Pianic to the program. Hey, Diane, how are you? I am spiffy. How are you? Did you just make the craziest decision anybody ever made in the history of the world? No, I don't think so at all. I bet your friends did. Um, not the ones I hang around with. No kidding. So at, at the age of what were you at the time when you, when you decided to do this? 61. 61 years old, and you decide to suit up and go out into one of the most barbaric games ever to come down the pike. <laughs> what are you, I mean, you, you, Diane, would you have been a gladiator if you were, if the option would have been there? No, they get killed. <laughs> what, a, what a great story. I'm sure it opens, it, it, it raises eyebrows every time you tell the story. But what it, was it that, why did you choose ice hockey and not like golf or badminton or just walking around the mall? Well, golf was boring for me. I already do a lot of walking. And I've, I've always wanted to play hockey, just had to put it at the back burner while my kids were growing up. And as I reached um, uh, the ripe old age, I figured, hey, I might as well try something. And one of my teammates on my softball team said, hey, I have this flyer that for beginners hockey you want to play. And I said, sure. So that's how I got started. And your friend didn't have a grudge against you or anything, did they? Cause oh, no, no. You... She could skate. Um, I told her, I can't skate, so I don't think it's going to work out. She goes, oh, yeah, they'll show you. And my first time out on the ice, I thought I was going to fill my pants. But, but you I did really on. good. You did really good your first time out, right? I wouldn't say good. I held on to the boards the whole entire time around. Because <laughs> I, I literally could not skate. <laughs> that's an odd that you chose to play hockey. Well, it's my uh, sister used to figure skate, and I, I had her skates one time, and I thought it was boring. I like team stuff. So hockey is like skating with a purpose for me. And I'm sure you took to it like a duck on water, no problems at all, right? Uh, no. <laughs> Uh-oh, here comes, folks. Yes, but no. Get, get ready for this, folks. Diane, tell them what happened. Well, I, was, I, was, I had taken lessons because one of the gals said, hey, Diane, if you're going to skate with us, you have to learn how to stop and not keep running into us or the boards. And in the lessons, they were teaching me how to go um, front to back, back to front, and I was trying that, and I didn't have my helmet on, and I fell and crashed on the ice. 
was knocked unconscious. <laughs> and uh, my and you, face you, blew up like a balloon. You had a bruise the size of the state of Texas on your cheek. It was bigger than that, actually. <laughs> I didn't know how bad it was until I bent over to unlace my skates and my, my nose started bleeding. And I said, well, maybe I should go to the ER. <laughs> and, Diane, at that point, of course, your family says, Ma, enough. No, they didn't even know I was in the emergency room. I didn't tell them. <laughs> you know, let's let's twist this from hockey down to what it really represents. And and here you are, a woman in her 60s that says, you know what? I got something I want to try, and nobody's going to stop me. That's true. And I did. And and what did, your, my... what did your family think of that? What did your son in Afghanistan think of that? Uh, my son was kind of proud of me. He just thought that was kind of neat. And when he came back, he's, he used to tell people about it, and he would come and watch the game, and he, I was like a novelty, I think. <laughs> yeah. Do you know why? Do you, mean, do you get that? Do you understand why you're such a, a powerful role model for doing something so unique? Well, I don't think it's unique, but um, I can understand why someone would think I'm a role model because mm, there's not a whole lot of people my age who would just go out and try to skate like that. Although I hang around with people my age who are just doing things very similar to that. So like last week, we played trampoline dodgeball together. So what is skating is not much different, and it's not like... We're checking each other. I'm on a non-checking league, so this is good. And you know what it is? We do bump each other. Diane, it's a quiet revolution out there that's being undertaken by you and people like you who are doing things now at an age that never happened before. You're changing what it means to be over 60, to be over 70 and more. And and you're really the warrior on the front lines, you know, whether you acknowledge it or, or really understand it or not. Do you see how you're really setting a path for everybody else to follow? Us baby boomers, I'm the one of the ladies who burned the bra, so why why shouldn't this be any different? I just come from a, a whole bunch of people who said, hey, I don't like what's going on. Let's do something else. And tell me about... Tell me about when you're yes. when you're skating and you're out there playing and working up a sweat and you're playing against 25, 30, 35, 40-year-olds. What is that feeling that you get? I feel exuberant and be honest with you, I don't think of my age or their age. The goal is to get that puck and make a goal. That's that's all I'm really thinking about. And then in the in the locker room, when they sit there and you catch them looking at you and it's shaking their head almost in awe, saying, I don't believe what I'm seeing. <laughs> Do you get that? I don't a <laughs> um, couple times they you know, they ask me how old I was, et cetera, and the younger ones will say, Hey, I wanna be like you when I grow up and they don't mean like like me per se. They just wanna mean they just mean stay active. And uh most of the time we sit around in a locker room and, and imbibe, so <laughs> I'm not gonna dehydration kit. <laughs> I'm not gonna ask you exactly what you mean by imbibe, but I can draw a picture in my head. What is it? Talk talk about how important it is for you. All of your friends are not your age now. You've got friends of every different age. How important is that? Very important. It keeps me young. I mean, I would rather be with somebody who's active and doing all kinds of cool things than just staying home and doing nothing. You know, I have like arthritis and my knees hurt and my shoulders will hurt, but they hurt if I sit around and if I go do something else, they might still hurt, but I don't notice it as much. And what's the difference if it hurts while I'm sitting or doing something? So it I forgot what the question was. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, that. I think it's because you've been imbibing b- before the interview. <laughs> I don't have my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the secret, folks. There's the real secret to why she plays hockey. But it, you know, it, it, I'm sure it has been kind of an adventure for you. How has it changed your life? Oh well, it hasn't really. I mean, I've always been very active, and I always plan on remaining active as long as I can. So it. It hasn't other than when I run into someone who says, aren't you the one, the old lady who plays hockey? I say, yes, I'm the old lady who plays hockey. (laughs) 
then you check them into the boards as hard as you can, and they don't ever call you that anymore. <laughs> no, I just chuckle inside. <laughs> well, listen, Diane, you you really are, uh, you know, whether you know it or not, you really are a, a great example of what's possible for all of us if we follow our passion and, and are not afraid to get out there and take chances, have new experiences, and do the things that we really want to do. So I hope you score a hat trick every time out. Our thanks to Diane Pianic for setting such a great example. Coming up, his guitar work is the stuff hits are made of. You definitely know his work, but do you know him? This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Advent Health, introducing the Feel Whole Challenge, a 21-day program offering big improvements through small steps, like a daily walk, making smoothies, changes that encourage whole person health. More information at feelwholechallenge.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. guitar i mean nasty guitar rock and guitar then you're gonna love what you're about to hear this is growing bolder i'm bill schaefer and our next guest has been called one of the most famous rock guitarists whose name you might not know but he's played with the likes of roger daltrey he was the lead guitarist for joan jett and the blackhearts in fact i think he did a little song with them you might be familiar with It's a riff that makes you pucker your face and want more. Strong, nasty, nice guitar. His name is Ricky Bird, and these days he's doing his thing, having recently released his solo debut entitled Lifer. So let's say hi to one of the coolest guys in rock, Ricky Bird. How you doing, Rick? I'm doing swell, just slugging down my second cup of black coffee. Oh, man, that's the rock star lifestyle. You didn't have to make it yourself, did you? Yeah, unfortunately I did. Yes. <laughs> The uh, the help had to leave early. <laughs> uh, Ricky, I heard that when it comes to summing up the story of your life, you usually like to reach back from a quote from Lenny Bruce who once said, a lot of do's, man, a lot of do's. Uh, yeah, I love Lenny Bruce. I was reading Lenny Bruce, uh, his biography, when I was like 14, 13. Did you really? Way, way, way ahead of his time, man. So, so were you, if you were reading it at that age, were you thinking about maybe doing uh, comedy? Um, you know, it, it's funny you say that because I, I mean, I I grew up in I grew up in the Bronx, kind of like a Neil Simon, you know, right by Yankee Stadium. Of course, Neil Simon's Brooklyn, but mine was the Bronx. Right. Big family, you know, Ed Sullivan every night, every Sunday night. Um, you know, comedy records, typical stuff from that late '60s uh, background. And um, you know, I I kind of I, I have a, a nutty New York sense of humor. So even when I'm playing rock and roll on stage, you know, I'll I'll, I'll uh, throw some uh, of my sardonic humor into it. <laughs> and also, you know, when I was about sixteen, seventeen, I was playing in a band up in the Catskills. So me being a, a lover of of like ancient comedy, like Bob Hope and, and uh, <laughs> you know all all the George Burns and all the great stuff. I would finish our rock and roll set. You know, we played for the teenagers, right? And it was at one of those hotels up in the Catskills. And um, and then I would go and watch the show with the um, comedians. And the and the great bit of that is that at, after all the shows were over at like three in the morning, everybody would gather in the coffee shop. And um, you know, we were the kids, and we'd sit there, and they'd be telling their stories. It was just like Broadway, Danny Rose, the Woody wow. Allen movie. Man, so, so so that's really me. I'm I'm probably like you know half Keith Richards, half Jerry Lewis. <laughs> A <laughs> lady. So, so look, yeah, exactly. as, as witty as you are, as smart as you are, and creative as you are, I'm guessing your family had to be devastated when you said you wanted to play guitar for a living. Oh, no, not <laughs> totally the opposite. My mom, um, well, I'll tell you what. The first thing is, like I said, the Ed Sullivan show, 
I was, a, you know, I was like a quiet kid. I was an only child, very shy. And we'd watch the Ed Sullivan Show every Sunday. And then every week, Ed would have everything from, you know, Sam Cooke to the Beatles, of course, and, and the Stones. And when I saw the Stones on there, I saw something in common with them as far as, um, you know, I kind of looked the same, kind of scrawny and a <laughs> little odd-looking. And, you know, I was only like 12 or something, maybe even younger, 10. And... um then I noticed the girls were screaming, ah. and I was like, huh, how long has this been going on? And then the final thing that got me was uh, Ed looked horrified, and I just said, ah. <laughs> That's for me. That's for That's me. That's for me. <laughs> you know, so, so um, my mom brought me home a guitar that her boss had given her to give to me for my ninth birthday, and, um, and that's what started it. I, and. and I, I took like three guitar lessons later, way later when I was like 16. And I, I had this ability to just play a record and, or hear it on the radio and pick it up on guitar. And that's really the story. That's exactly how it started. Yeah, but you, you did, you've accomplished things that very few have. Does it bug you that, that you know, people don't they throw out the name and it's not like Keith Richards? They don't know right off who you are? Well, you know what? It's, it's, it's really not quite as bad as all that. I mean, as... The uh, ne- the generation before me goes into uh, you know moving to Boca. Um, that was a joke. Uh, you know, even the Stones. I mean, they're in their seventies and stuff. Well, uh, you know, I'm one of the guys from the next generation, and, and more people know me than you would think as far as a, a guitar player. But this record, I I said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this. Might be my one and only solo record, so I'm gonna really put some guitar on it. I mean, the people that know guitar players know who I am. I mean, and and also the style that I play. Like I grew up on on Chuck Berry and Keith and you know Jeff Beck and stuff. And but I'm not a showy guitar player. I'm, I'm you know I could play anything because I do these Rock and Roll Hall of Fame things every year, and I, I wind up playing with like Mavis Staples and you know from there to Billy Squire to Sheila E. So like it's all over the place. So I could play any style of guitar. But the guitar that moves me is is the guitar that's on my record. It's all below the waist, all right. and that's the that's the kind of guitar that is 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 um what's the word I want to use? It's it's understated kind of. Yeah, let's let's find out exactly what you're talking about here, because from the album Lifer, let's listen to a little bit of Rock and Roll Boys. Ricky Bird, see that's great. There's so much stones in that, but more than anything, it's rock and roll—the stuff that we miss, the stuff we grew up on, the stuff we love to hear. Well, that's why on the um, album sleeve—I don't know if you have the actual CD—I wrote um, my saying is there ain't no rock without the roll. I mean, that's my kind of music. Is it's that it's that beat, you know? It's that crazy ass beat. It's like, you know, in the Jerry Lee Lewis movie when when um, uh, Jerry. Jerry Lee and his cousin uh, Jimmy Swaggart are standing by that juke joint, and and Jimmy Swaggart says, "This is the devil's music." And Jerry Lee Lewis goes, "Yeah." <laughs> you know, we had I mean, you on. We had you on because uh, our friend Liberty Devito said that you're the coolest guy in the world. You know, Liberty uh, of, uh, for, was Billy Joel's drummer for years, and the wish two, I could say the same for him. Yeah, right. The the two <laughs> the two of you guys in your sixties. You know, him with the Slim well, Kings, and I'm, you, I'm, I'm 56, my friend. Ah, uh, 56. I'm pushing you, but but look what you guys are doing. I mean, you can really. And I'm not no cut against the, the the younger kids, but it's different. I mean, when they really want it, you are the guys that can bring it. Yeah, and you know what? Like now, it's become a um, sort of something you you grow up to do is you know I'm going to be on on uh, American Idol or I want to do this or yeah. I, I'm a rock and roll guy. I mean, it's in my veins. You know, my, my thing, rock and roll to me was emotional too. It's it was it was feeling um, a part of something when I was a kid. I mean, I, I always felt sort of like like I said, I was shy and, and not really. Even before I picked up the guitar, I wasn't one of the real, real like genius kids, and I wasn't one of the real, real tough kids. I was kind of in between, which is the artist. And when I found rock and roll and found the band, I became part of something, you know, part of a gang, as I like to call it. So 
you know, this is not, I'm not putting anything on. I mean, this is the way I dress since I'm 13 and act, and I'm a rock and roll guy. It's sort of a pirate, you know. Well, his album is called Lifer, and be sure to check it out and to learn more about one of the coolest guys in rock. Just head over to RickyBird, B-Y-R-D dot com. Our thanks to the man himself. Thanks, Ricky. We started today's show saying that there is a revolution underway, and we hope that we sort of showed you exactly what it looks like. From a man in his 70s leading the global movement towards solar power to a woman in her 60s playing ice hockey with 20-year-olds to the media superstar who walked away from her dream job to take a risk at finding something even better – and to the guy you just heard, a former rock star who is now sober and finally releasing his debut solo album, Pushing the Age of 60. You can do it, too. That's the point. You can make the rest of your life the best of your life. And, of course, we're here to help you 24-7. You can find Growing Boulder not only here on the radio, but also Growing Boulder TV, GrowingBoulder.com, and Growing Boulder Magazine. And if you haven't already, find us on Facebook. And follow us on Twitter, and we'll keep you up to date on all things Growing Boulder. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting. All rights reserved. This program was recorded live at Growing Boulder's studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nanis. Director of technology is Joshua Doolittle. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day.